I have not gotten to do this for like five months, and I am so excited to have you all in the room. Last night at dinner, my 20-year-old daughter um, said to me, hey, Dad, what happens if you get up in front of everybody and you forget how to talk to a crowd and you just freeze? I just want to say thank you to my daughter, Megan, for reminding me of my own fearfulness in my life. And I'm not afraid of that at all because I feel like I'm back with a whole bunch of friends online and in the house. So here's a question I have for you. Um, what if you really could predict the future? And I don't mean predict the future like I know who's going to win the Super Bowl, what the next lottery number is going to be. But what if you could like predict the future of the general sense of where you're going with your life, that you could choose the good future or not so good future. And with that, have you ever said to yourself, when you find yourself in a little bit of a mess in life, that, hey, hey, I should have seen that coming. Life's a little upside down, life's a little messy, things aren't working out the way you thought it would, but you, you'd say to yourself, I should have seen that coming. Now, we don't say that very often about ourselves. What we do say often is, hey, you should have seen that coming, don't we? We love to say to somebody like a friend or a roommate, a spouse, a husband, a wife, hey, you should have seen this coming. You should have seen this was in your future because I've been watching you and I've been watching your decision making and the paths you're taking and it's been like two Mack trucks just coming together on a highway and we could tell they were going to crash and you didn't seem to pay any attention to it and now you've crashed. Now, what's so interesting is when people crash their lives like that, their general response, my general response is, I can't believe that happened. I'm so shocked that I ended up here. I am so surprised. I can't believe she broke up with me. Well, dude, the way you've been treating her for the last six months, what else would you expect her to do? I can't believe I'm in so much debt. I mean, as an outsider, you would say, are you kidding with the things you've been buying and the new this and the new that and the credit card you've just been swiping every night as you go out for dinner, what did you think was going to happen with your debt load? And you're so surprised, but everyone around you can see it coming. Here, here's a question that I think we should pay attention to. How come it's so easy to see that train wreck in other people's lives, but it's so difficult to see it in our lives? And then when it happens to us, we're just so shocked. We're so surprised. I'm just, I, I can't believe this is happening to me. Now, let me give you some bad news to start off this with. I know you didn't want bad news to come together back in church. And I'm going to give you some new good news in just a minute. But the bad news is just this, that most, most personal problems can't be fixed. I know, no one's clapping and high-fiving. Yeah, Matt, I'm so glad we came to church to hear this. But it's true. You, you know what can be fixed? Your mower can be fixed. Your garage door can be fixed. Your refrigerator can be fixed. I mean, maybe your cat needs to get fixed. We have less cats in the world. That would be a win for everybody, just so we get that out on the table. But those are different than you fixing you because you're not that simple as your refrigerator. Because when you fix a fridge, a mower, a car, I mean, isn't it true? It's like it never happened. It's like nothing ever was wrong. Have you ever gotten a fender bender and you'd push in the back bumper of your car and you take it to a really good body shop and you drop it off, you get the rental and you come back a week later and they ask you to walk around the car and inspect it. You're like, good grief, I can't even find where the damage was because they did such a good job. It's like it never even happened. So you can fix a car, you can fix a computer because your computer has memory and you just put some new memory in it, but you have and I have memories and our personal problems you can learn to cope with you can overcome them you can use them as teaching examples for your kids and say kids this is what dad did so don't do it yourself but the truth is 
Your past is always going to be your past. And you can't change what's happened in the past. Now, here's the good news. Most personal problems can't be fixed. But the good news is most personal problems can be avoided. And this is what this whole series is about, the beginner's guide to predicting your future. We want to figure out how do we not run into the same potholes and mess and disasters in our future that maybe we ran into our past. And you know this, in the last six months, we realized there is a whole lot of pain in this world. I mean, there is pain in every angle. There's cultural pain, there's um, pandemic pain, there's just pain everywhere. And then maybe for you, you have your own personal pain that you didn't cause, like an illness or something like that. And you would say to you down the road, hey, you don't need to add any more pain to your life because there's enough pain the way it is. So don't take any steps that lead you to more pain. And so throughout the series, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a principle. We're gonna talk about a principle. And principles are really interesting because principles are, are not a rule you follow. They're a rule that follows you wherever you go. Principles are not something that you choose to apply, but they always apply themselves to you. Principles are not a law or a rule that you can break, but I'm telling you, if you don't pay attention to certain principles, those principles will break you. Several years ago, when I, when I was a young guy, young dad, um, we were camping up in northern Michigan. It's kind of what we do for our time off as a family. And my uncle had made this beautiful handmade out of wood sea kayak. It, it was 20, 25 feet long, handmade. I, I wish I could describe how he did it. It was just beautiful and never been used before. Well, he brings it up to Lake Michigan. And I'm like, hey, Uncle David, how about I take out your sea kayak and let me, let me get some time on that. What I really wanted to do is to take it out and go snorkeling off it. Now, if you've ever seen a sea kayak, you know it's not what you use to go snorkeling, but I love to snorkel and I wanted to go way out where the water was deep and he said, sure, use it. And I took out a, about a mile into this great big bay where the water was 40 feet-ish deep. And I practiced getting in and out of this thing and the way you got back into it is you took the paddle and put a floaty thing on one end of the paddle and the other end of the paddle over the kayak and you could lift yourself back in. And I was younger than I am now, so I could do it pretty dang well because I was younger back then. It was a, it was a good thing, right? And I was all set and I, I paddled out about a mile. I jump over the side and I'm diving. I couldn't get to the bottom, but I was trying, having the time of my life. And what I didn't notice is as I was diving up and down was the wind began to pick up and the sea, the waves, the lakes started to bubble up and the waves started to get bigger and bigger but I was just doing my thing until I finally came up and the kayak was like 20 yards away from me and so I swam with everything I had to get this kayak and I look around I'm like I'm in trouble because the waves and the wind I can hardly get this thing controlled and so I said decided, I got to get back into this thing and so I did all the right things I propped myself up plopped in and flipped the thing over in 40 feet of water a mile away from shore and immediately I thought I'm going to die because the paddle went one way the kayak went the other and there I am trying to figure out what to do and my my biggest thought was not that I was going to die out there is that I'm going to lose my uncle's kayak and he's going to kill me because he is going to be ticked because it was a beautiful he spent a year on this thing and so for about 45 minutes, I'm just fighting with it. I got it flipped over. Now it's half full of water and I'm fighting with it. Now it just wants to flip over every time. Finally, to make a long story short, I got in it and I'm sitting like this much off the water. And I'm, like, I'm in a bathtub in Lake Michigan. It was the weirdest, it was the weirdest thing. And I paddle home and I was saved. And my Uncle Dave never knew anything except I lost some of his gear. I probably ought to pay him back for that. Anyway, anyway, so, so here's the principle that I learned that day. It was the principle of buoyancy. 
It's the principle of how things float and work, and I almost was broken by it. And that's the idea of any principle. You you didn't come up with it, but if you don't pay attention to it, it gets you. Here's what we know about any principle, that principles are experienced and explained. You experience principles, and then you're able to like, oh, that's how that works. What principles are not, they're not invented by us, because they were invented, if you're a follower of Jesus, by your heavenly Father. They were invented by something bigger than us. And buoyancy is just a simple principle that we, we can look and go, yeah, that's how it works. Well, in this series, we're going to talk about this idea of the principle of the path. And here's the, the idea of being on a path and then getting off a path. path. You can get lost real easy. And when you get lost in any part of your life, then what you want is a solution. And here's what I know is going to happen this week. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people will call up a pastor like me or call up a counselor, maybe call up a trusted friend and say, I've gotten lost in my life, whether it's relationally, academically, morally, in my faith. And I need to talk to you, pastor. I need to talk to you, counselor, because I need a fix bad thing is there's not a fix that just happens immediately, but what Jesus offers is a new direction that if we would over time pay attention to it, we could walk into a better life following him. And this is what I've discovered, and I think this is what the New Testament says over and over, that we get to where we should be the same way we got to where we shouldn't be. It takes time to get to where we shouldn't be, but it takes time to get back to where we should be. But this is what we know. You change direction. And things will eventually change. Not overnight. There's no quick fixes like for your stove or your fridge. But when you change directions, and there is a direction God has called us to that we think is a better direction, things begin to change. Now, it's no surprise that 2,000 years ago, Jesus talked about this over and over and over again. And for some of you, you're like, oh, the Bible. You're talking about the Bible. Yeah, I'm talking about the New Testament specifically. And for some of you, and no judgment here. Maybe, you know, this is going to cause you today to go home and take the stuff off your Bible. Do you remember grandma said never put stuff on your Bible? Like put it on the table, but don't put anything on it. It might cause you to take stuff off the Bible and take the Bible and go and blow the dust off it and open up these incredible things that Jesus said. Now, here's the good news for all of us. If you have the Internet today, you have the Bible. You can download an app called YouVersion and it has every version of the Bible you could want. But what you're going to find out is when you read the New Testament, there is incredible wisdom and direction for our lives. For instance, Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, he had been a tax collector, and Jesus called Matthew to follow him, records something called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives like his most famous sermon, and he talks about a specific topic over and over again. In fact, I think this was Jesus' go-to thing to talk about, and his followers would go, oh, he's going to talk about that thing again. He's going to talk about that thing, and everybody listen, because this must be really important. And Matthew, who was a tax collector, tax collector, which means he probably had scribes and writers because he could afford them, he writes all this down through his scribes, and he records it for us. So we have a documentation of what Jesus says. And here's what Jesus said on a side of a hill 2,000 years ago. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So Jesus, what you're saying is we're supposed to listen and then do something with it? Yeah, that's an that's you know, important part of this. Now, for some of us, and maybe you recognize this, our mode of spirituality, our mode of religion is we like to come to church. 
and sit and you like to hear a message like this or some other message and then we feel really bad about ourselves. I mean really bad about ourselves. Now you don't do anything with it but you feel really bad about yourself and when you feel bad about yourself you feel close to God and that's kind of the rhythm of spirituality for a lot of people. I feel bad, I feel close to God and I go home and I don't do anything with it. And I would just suggest this, if that's how you view Christianity, that's how you view Jesus, you haven't encountered the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus, I'm telling you, he's like, hey, let's apply this and let's put your life in a direction that you'd be glad you did. Now, when he says this, if I was writing this and if I got what I really want, I would say this, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will immediately, because I like immediate fixes like most of you, will experience immediate relief relationally, financially, along with various other alleys. Like everything is just going to be perfect when you do what I said immediately. Or maybe you've heard somebody like me say this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will discover the fix for all their problems. My friends, this is not what Jesus said. And if you're ever in a place where people are like, hey, if you just do this, everything's going to be immediately better, you might be in the wrong place. If someone like me who has a microphone on their face goes, hey, if you pray this prayer, if you hear this preacher talk, if you do this thing, everything just gets better immediately. If you hear that, my suggestion is you should run out the back door to someplace better because that is not the way God created the world to work. But the good news is Jesus invited us to a different kind of direction in his kingdom where the destination is so much better than anything else in our lives. This is what Jesus actually says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Now, let me tell you what a wise man is. A wise man is just simply a person that knows that today is connected to tomorrow. What I do today will impact myself and my family and my job tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now. Life is connected. And wise people aren't always smart. They're not always talented, they're not always resourced, but they've learned what I do today impacts my life in the future. It's connecting the dots. Jesus goes on. He puts this into practice as like a wise man who built his house, who built his house, I'll stop there. Now when he says built his house, all he's really talking about is building your life on something, building your relationships, building your finances, building your pastimes and your recreational times and your morality, who built your life, who built your house. That's all he's talking about. And who in this place doesn't want to build your life on something good and solid? Because this is what he said, who built his house on the rock. And the audience heard this and like, oh yeah, that makes per perfect sense. Because the audience knew something that when you build your house on a rock, it lasts, but it's also difficult. And it cost a lot of time and it cost a lot of money and it's, it was the expensive way to go. And when you built your house on a rock, you first had to level it, figure it out dimensionally and it took a lot of time. You could go by a work site where someone was building a home on the ro a rock and come back in a month later and it may look like very little had been done because it took such a long time. There's no immediate return, but the end result is powerful. Now that's the, the first character in Jesus' story. There's a second character. And Jesus introduces us to him. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So Jesus goes to the other extreme. And a foolish person is just the opposite of a wise person. They don't believe that life is connected. 
A foolish person simply thinks, what I do today has no impact on tomorrow. How I live my life today will not impact my kids, my money, my relationships. It just doesn't affect anything. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that's all there is to it. And when it doesn't work out, I'm going to kind of be like a computer. You know how you fix a computer, at least the first try, is you just shut the thing down. And you let it sit for 30 seconds or a minute or 10 minutes. And then you reboot it. And when it reboots it, sometimes it just works after that. Have you ever done that? It just works. And the foolish person says, listen, if my life's not working, I'm just going to marry somebody else. My life's not going where I want to. I'm going to leave him and go try and find another him. I'm going to leave her and just reboot and find another her. I'm going to move in with another person and another person and another person. My my life's not working. I'm going to reboot. I'm going to file bankruptcy. I'm not going to change how I spend money. I'm not going to change, you know, where my money went. I'm just going to file bankruptcy again and again and again. Or maybe if you're my age, you're tempted to go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reboot and I'm going to I'm going to find myself. And I'm going to buy a Harley Davidson, which I would love to buy a Harley Davidson, but that's what, I'm going to buy a Harley. I'm going to go out west. And I'm going to go find myself. And I'm going to go find a younger version of whatever she is in my life. And here's the problem that Bono, you two, really had it figured out. So you still haven't found what you're looking for because you're always and I'm always in the equation. No matter where I go, there I am. And I'm part of my problem of, you know, my lost time, my lost direction. And here's, I think Jesus is saying, you're not a refrigerator. You're not a bumper on a car. You're a human being who is so much more complex and beautiful than things that can just be fixed overnight. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And building your house on the sand was quick. And you know this, you can move sand a lot quicker than you can move rock. It gets done, but the whole audience heard that and went, oh, we know where this is going. We've seen this. And people build their house on the sand, and then when everything falls apart, they're so shocked. I can't, I can't believe it. I can't, look at it. How did this happen? And foolish people think, you know, today's weather is going to be the same tomorrow, and in a week from now, the weather will be the same. But if you know this story from Sunday school, and if you don't, it's okay, Jesus introduces this thought, and then he starts talking about the rains came down, floods came up. You remember that? The rains came down, and the floods came. Let me read it to you. It's better than my singing, for sure. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know what you do when your entire home falls apart? You do not fix it. You do what you should have done in the first place and start rebuilding the entire thing the right way in the first place. And that, my friends, it takes time to rebuild a house or a life or a home. And you got to get away from, I didn't see it coming, I didn't see it coming, and get back into, okay, I should have seen it coming because everybody else does. And then you say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, that's a house with the sand, but you were talking about that house with the rock. What happened to the house that was built on rock? Again, this is what I would be tempted to say. It it did not fall because (laughs) those folks are just so lucky. Have you ever said that? Look at their kids. They're just so lucky to have kids like that. 
Look at, look at their choices. They're just lucky they made those choices. And look at the way they handle their money. That's just luck. That's just luck. God just, God just loves them more than he loves me because I, I prayed to God. I mean, I didn't do anything with what I prayed about, I did, but I prayed and I promised, and God didn't do anything for me. Those folks are just so lucky that their house stood. And here's what I would tell you. God doesn't love you any less, and he doesn't love you any more than anybody else. He just loves you. But the truth is, your heavenly Father made the world to be a little bit predictable. That certain paths, certain directions take you to certain places. So you would kind of know a way to go. Not that everything is perfect and nothing will ever go wrong, but that you could know, hey, this direction is the best direction for my family, for my faith, for my money, for my job, for my friendships. Jesus says this, it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. This is like a cause and effect. This is like sowing and reaping. In Northwest Ohio, we understand this. You sow, you put seed in the ground. Months later, there's a crop to harvest, and it's predictable. It may not always be perfect. It's not always the same, but seeds create something. Building your house on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus, it produces something. It is the principle of the path. Now it's been a long hot day. Jesus has been preaching. People are enthralled, but now they're tired and they're hot. And he wraps it all up. And listen to what Matthew records, the general vibe of the people listening. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Do you, do you know why I think they were amazed at his teaching? Because he made so much sense. I mean, they're looking at their idiot religious leaders and they're like, how come you never told us this? How come you never helped us understand? Jesus is like, we don't even know where this guy's from. He's a carpenter of all things. He is telling us how the world works and it makes sense for the first time in our life. And God is making sense because they're amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their, I want to say idiot teachers, just their teachers, we'll go with that, their teachers of the law. My friends, this is what's so heartbreaking for me, is in my life and then in what I do, I've had a front row seat to so many people's lives that live in a direction that is taking them where they do not want to go. They're they're living in a direction in the most important parts of their life that when they get to the destination, the direction is taking them, they're like sad and they're shocked and they're mournful, and they would do anything to go back. And when you get lost, I mean, there's consequences. When you get lost in your car, like on on the way to a friend's house, and you take a wrong road, you you lose 30 minutes, right? You get to your friend's house, and you have a joke, and you laugh, and you're like, yeah, I went the wrong way again. You lose 30 minutes. When, When you're on the wrong path in life, you can lose your 20s, and you can lose your 40s, And you can miss your children and your grandchildren or your first marriage or the career you wanted. When you get lost on the bigger paths of life, you can lose a lot more than just a few minutes on the road. And here's what I am convinced, that your heavenly Father cares way too much about you just to let you do it. So he's speaking, he's calling, he's inviting you to a better path. I mean, he loves you so much, he gave his son for you that you can not only have forgiveness and eternal life, but know like, the way God created the world to work. And simply, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm, I'm the rock. My way will lead you to the best way. And this is what I've come to believe. You know, we can't, we can't wish our way. 
We can't talk our way, and we cannot pray our way back in time. We just can't. We cannot do that. But the principle of the path tells us this, and here's the definition of it, that direction determines destination. That direction determines where I end up, and we have a choice of what direction today to, to take. And the best way to predict your future and my future is to figure out what direction takes me where I want to go morally, relationally, spiritually, academically, with my health, with what's going on in my heart, in every way. Now, here's the challenge with a message like this. I mean, there's a temptation to go, oh, Matt, I've not been doing this at all. God must... He just must be angry at me. Let me tell you another camping story. My son, Josh, he's my youngest son. He went camping with our family like we do every year. We got to the place we were camping, and Josh and his buddies, they were out riding their bikes around the campground. They're in high school, so you know, they're kind of independent. The adults are around the fire hanging out. And all of a sudden, Josh gets driven up in my friend's truck, and his buddies carry Josh out of the truck and sit him on the picnic table and he is just a mess from head to toe. He's crashed his sister's bike. I'm not sure why he was riding his sister's bike, but he crashed her bike and he was skinned up on his face, his hands, his elbows, his knees. He didn't have shoes on. He had sandals. His toes were scraped raw. He was a bloody, nasty mess. And in that moment, we had a decision to make. Do we take him to the hospital or do we patch them up ourselves? And I did the calculations on how much the hospital would cost. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I got this. You know, we run to the drugstore, get gauze, antiseptic. And the best thing of all is Bactine. I mean, you want to make somebody feel more comfortable, spray them down with Bactine. That's a beautiful thing. So we get Josh all patched up. And his, his rest of his camping trip is miserable. Because he can't swim. He can't ride a bike. He just learned to play euchre. And that's all he did for the next eight days. It was miserable. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think when Josh came rolling up bloodied and scarred up in a mess that I looked at him and went, Josh, you're so stupid. How could you do this to yourself? What's wrong with you? Do you think I said that? Now, I'm a flawed father. I've made a lot of mistakes with my kids, but no, I didn't say that. I looked at my son who was train wrecked, and I was just like, oh, my boy, I... I don't only really hate to see the pain you're in. I know it's going to take weeks for you to recover from this, and camping trip is going to be miserable for you. My heart broke for him. Now, to finish the story, eight days later, we're on our way home, and Josh says, I got I to gotta tell you something, Dad. Never could keep a secret. He says, I didn't just crash the bike. You see, my buddy Nate was driving his dad's truck, and him and I decided that I would tie a rope around the hitch of the truck, and then I would tie the other end of my wrist, and then he would pull me down the road, and I would go faster than I'd ever gone. Now, now, think about this. He's tied up with this rope, and on his left hand is he holding the bike with the front brake, not the bat brake. And so when he started to lose control, Josh flipped the bike over, and he just got doof, 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 right? You get it? That's why we're so... And I knew there was more to the story, but even in that moment, even in that moment, there was nothing in me that wanted to go, you're so stupid. I mean, I thought it. I didn't say it, but there was a... There was, this is really important. There was nothing in me that needed to punish him or scold him. He'd inflicted enough wound on himself. He didn't need me to do any more. I just never, ever, ever, ever wanted him to hurt himself in that way again. And I'm a flawed dad. 
Your heavenly Father, who is a perfect Father, who loves you perfectly, he doesn't have a desire to smack you around because you've gone on the wrong path. He, his heart breaks because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to continue to hurt yourself ever again. And your heavenly father, listen, he's going to warn you and he's going to send people into your life. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're like, I have no idea why I came to church. I don't go to church. I don't like church. I'm really bored by Matt trying to be funny in his stories. And none of that's working for me, but maybe God has you here. Because he's trying to say, listen, I have a better path for you. It is why for the history of our church, our mantra has not been just, hey, you got to believe, you got to believe, you got to believe. Or you got to obey. Come on, you got to obey. Just obey. It's why the invitation at our church, because we believe this is what is the theme throughout the New Testament, is follow. Follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus if you do not believe in Jesus all the way. And then, in fact, that's what he invited people to do. Just follow me. Track with me. Go where I go. See if it doesn't make a difference. Maybe you'll find faith in me. If you are a believer in Jesus, it's not just believe, it's follow. Go the path I'm taking you down. And here's what I have found over and over, that following Jesus makes my life better. Not perfect, not without problems, but it makes it better. And it makes me better at life. And why wouldn't it if he created how the world works? And as the pastor, maybe I'm your pastor, maybe I'm not, that's okay. I don't want you to end up somewhere in my mistake that's not good for you or for me or my children. I want you to end up somewhere on a path with purpose and for a purpose. So for the next three or four weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of the principle of the path, that your direction determines your destination. And the right directions, like building your house on a rock, not the sand, it takes time. It takes moving in the right direction to end up at the destination you want to end up. So join us, whether you join us next week online, whether you come back in the building, join us. Let's figure this out together because your Heavenly Father loves you and he does not want you to wreck another bicycle in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for everybody that's come today and is listening. And I just pray for every man, every husband, every woman, every wife, every mother, father, single adult, teenager, yet to be a teenager, that we would pay attention to the direction that we're going and hear this invitation from you to follow you on a path to life in you. And thank you, Jesus, for breaking this down in a way that we can understand and apply to our life. Give us wisdom to know that life is connected. Today impacts tomorrow, and tomorrow impacts the rest of our lives. And thank you, Jesus, when we stumble, when we mess up, when we literally wreck ourselves. You're not there to throw us out, but to help us find a better, more kingdom direction. It's in Jesus' name I pray.